the point here is that if you're the Pied Piper and you know the sheep are following you or the sheep herder and the sheep are following you towards the cliff um, and those sheep aren't the people who are using your product but have a different incentive from you, you have a problem. This podcast is sponsored by Vori. Please stay tuned for more information on this amazing company later in the episode. Retail adoption of Bitcoin and crypto has been one of the overlying narratives for the past few years. In 2021, we saw a major boom where crypto exchanges couldn't even accept customers that were coming in because they didn't have enough customer service to onboard them. Now, we saw a big cool down in that, so I'm interested to see what's been happening in 2022 and also what's being built on these retail and institutional platforms. I have one of my favorite guests today, Bill Barhide, the CEO of Abra, to discuss all of these things and more. So Bill, we, we've talked so many times at this point, but yeah. I think the last time we actually did a podcast, we were still talking about this massive retail run last year when seemingly every exchange couldn't yeah. handle the onboarding process and the customer service issues were running rampant. I would assume that we sort of saw cooling off of that through the middle and end of 2021. Where are we at now with the retail cycle, would you say, as far as what you're seeing from new entrants to the market? Yeah, it's a good question. I think in, in Q4, uh, November, December, uh, maybe even a little bit, yeah, January for sure, there was definitely a cooling off uh, within kind of the, the, the retail trading, uh, retail buying, uh, let's call it sector. Uh, now, when, interestingly enough, we've seen, uh, first of all, retail has picked up significantly the last few weeks, right? So we're early April. I mean, we've seen a significant pickup in retail volume. Uh, we've also seen a significant pickup in institutional volume uh, for us. And um, it's still not where it, the euphoria is not where it was clearly in, in like May of last year, June of last year. Yeah. Um, but um, it's definitely it definitely troughed uh, in in like December, January, maybe early February, and I think in in March it started to pick up again. I mean, last year was weird because we obviously had sort of the market crash in April, May, anyways, and then you coupled yeah. that with the world reopening, and I think people just didn't want to sit their computers and stare at right. charts and and in, and invest. Yeah. But it's interesting that you're seeing sort of this growth in on the institutional side because that. Yeah. I, that seems to be the overwhelming narrative, but I haven't seen much data to back it up. So yeah. you know, beyond anecdotally. So what does that mean when you talk about your institutions? Yeah. Is this crypto hedge funds and specifically, or are we um, starting to see the legacy? Sure. So we have several businesses that uh, interface with the institutional world. We have um, our lending business, uh, which is growing really fast. We manage uh, well over a billion, close to two billion now in, in, in lending positions for mostly institutions. Um, and we're, we're, you know, dealing in both directions, uh, borrow and lend. Uh, we are facilitating uh, treasury for uh, a lot of crypto companies now. They come to us and they want to earn yield on their holdings. They know, in, in particular, they understand how it works because they're in crypto. Uh, so we're doing that for several companies in the space, but now getting a lot of traction outside of our space. Uh, and that's probably our, been our fastest growing business this year. Um, and that is literally paying yield on either stable coins or crypto holdings uh, for companies who are already in the space, already invested, want to be invested, family offices that want to be invested. Um, 
you know, generally in, in the first quarter of each year, you get these allocator events where family offices, institutions come together and figure out, you know, how they're going to look at... What are we doing this at, year? Right, what are we doing <laughs> this year? Basically, that's right. And, and um, crypto went from not part of the discussion to like a key part of the discussion, boom, like overnight. And for Abra, it's just been, been awesome. I mean, you know, that's, that's exactly what we've been waiting for and now it's happening and it's just, that's been great. So, um, so that combined with kind of retail coming back has been really interesting the last few weeks. You know, we've been the crazy guys trying to tell everyone to buy Bitcoin, obviously, for, for me, for just over half a decade, for you a lot longer, obviously. Um, and I had a whole segment of my old friends and college friends and stuff, I could just never get there. And when I showed them that they could buy USDC and earn 10% on it, that ended up actually being their Hook. gateway. Yeah. Right. Then eventually they bought Bitcoin. So right. I always thought that Bitcoin was the gateway drug and it led you yeah. to all these things. But it was sort of the yeah. stablecoin yield that kids of the 80s understood you could have a savings account and yeah. earn, earn money on. Yeah. So it's interesting that you're seeing that in your business. We are, totally. And, and the way I use it for myself, which is, you know, the, the management team, we were 10 people sat around a table and said, okay, what's the product we want for ourselves? And we designed it. And we didn't really think about, okay, let's build a savings account. I want an away station for my cash because I'm, I'm crypto-centric in my accounting, right. right? I'm thinking Bitcoin, Ethereum first, everything else second. People you're talking about are thinking cash first, everything else second, and they account in, in dollars. I account in, in the number of Bitcoin I hold and the amount of Ethereum I hold because it should, I want it to, I, my conviction is it'll, it'll go up for a very long time and I'd rather account in that. But I come in and out in a certain amount of cash because I'm, I'm looking to make new investments, you know, every once in a while, particularly in Ethereum, I might take a little profit. Bitcoin, I generally don't. Um, and then I'm looking for entry points. And I use Abra's earn product as my personal treasury for that because I'm earning more money to invest on the pullbacks at the same time. It's the holding pen. Exactly. That's the same thing for me. Holding like pen. every time I sell something, I know that I'm going to owe 40% taxes on it at the end of the year. So I've just right. been parking that. Yeah. And earning yield, and now yeah. unfortunately here we are in April, yeah. and I and I have to get over this mental hurdle. Of you actually it you actually bring up two other points which have become germane to our business and, and and others and peers I've talked to in the space. And this issue of taxes has actually created two new phenomenon for us that I think are quite significant. The first is tax loss harvesting. I spend so much time explaining to people why crypto is different from equities and why it's treated differently. Um, and, and basically, it's, it's, it's not part of the wash trading rules and, yet. you know, yet. <laughs> and I, I think it probably will be eventually, sure. but in the meantime, it's not. And so we now get a lot of users who basically offset equity positions with crypto because they look at the crypto effectively as free money because of the fact that regardless if it's going to go up or not, it's always going to have these 20, 30 percent pullbacks, which is basically an instant tax offset for their entire equity position. Right, so viewing, so viewing an investment class as an opportunity to lock in a loss is definitely a new thing. 100%, <laughs> 100%. And so, um, and I'd be, I was actually quite surprised in December of last year at how many of our high net worth investors already knew this. Like, like we didn't tell them, uh, we do now, but they figured it out on their own. I'd call them up and you know, I'd see them moving money around. I'm like, is everything okay? Because uh, these are like our, you know, I don't call every customer. These are the biggest customers. Everything, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just tax loss harvesting. I'm like, are you kidding me? And, and, and so that's one. The second thing is we've, we've launched a new division of Abra. It's a subsidiary called Abra Capital Management. And we've launched a series of funds because 
a lot of our high net worth investors are saying, hey, look, you're forcing me to basically either sell or, or you know, unmint my stable coins to pay taxes. If it's Bitcoin, I've got to sell. If I it's literally did stable, it today. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, 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 but what if you had a fund structure to earn the yield, right? So that you got a K1 instead of a 1099, right? So in, in, in English, for those of us who, who aren't in the fund world, um, we now have the ability to allow you to earn the yield through a fund, which means that it's capital gains as opposed to ordinary income. So if you don't redeem, there's no taxes in theory. I'm not so a tax advisor. Hold it endlessly. You just hold it endlessly. And you're, what you're basically doing is you're, you're compounding against future, you know, future earnings that aren't being taxed yet. So you're basically pushing your taxes off forever as long as you're willing to huddle, right? And so, so that's going to change our business significantly. Brilliant. Yeah. And we have that now for Bitcoin, for Ethereum, and for the dollar funds. What's so interesting there is that all you've done is reskin the billionaire playbook for the average 100%. person who's never had access to that. People right. have no idea how many like hoops you can jump through as a wealthy person to basically just punt, yeah. avoid altogether, it's incredible. or just delay things. It's but incredible. that, that it's is a very, very the, simple one that yeah. there's never been access for your average That's person. That's right. The game has been rigged forever. I'm not like trying to re-rig the game. I'm just basically playing by the rules that somebody else created. But why didn't anybody do that before? Because you, I don't it, think the people, demand was but, there. Right, but people do have the perception that it's sure. rigged for rich people, but it actually can be done. Uh, 100%, 100%. Nobody just bothered to do it exactly. because who cares about the people that yeah. you're servicing? And, and so, um, yeah, I mean, it's such an easy thing to do. Uh, you know, the onboarding is a few more forms that you have to go through because yeah. it's a fund. Um, and if you've never dealt with a K-1, and trust me, TurboTax and all your other tax programs, if you do it yourself, they can deal with the K-1 just like they can at 1099. Probably prefer uh, Exactly, and it's super easy, so. Do you have to be accredited? You do. Right. Yeah. So this doesn't get That's us past- That's not my choice. Right. No, of course. Yeah. Which is such like a funny misnomer in the crypto space. Even Jack, obviously, you know, his sort of campaign against Web3, that it's the VCs who are making the money and that it doesn't help That's the all people. Nonsense. It's complete. It's complete nonsense because of the accreditation law. Not because crypto companies aren't trying to cut out the little guy yeah. or any other company. You just have to get the money from where you can legally get the money, and that's a. That's VC. true. But even even then, if you look at wealth creation for the public companies and like the Fang stocks and and add Twitter in there, his own company and the run-ups over the last. 15 years in this longest bull run we've had since dot, actually bigger than dot, dot com, yeah. the wealth creation has been insane. And that's not to the VCs, it's the public markets. So I, I just don't, I don't buy it, you know. It also is really dismissive of the fact that uh, they probably invested in a lot of things that went to zero. And the entrepreneurs <laughs> are the ones doing the work, not the VCs, right? I don't, I don't report to my venture capital investors on a regular, anyway, I don't want to belabor this, but it's, it's just not the way, and he knows this in his heart of hearts. It's not the way value creation happens. It's it's fifty percent immigrant entrepreneurs who don't know anything about how VC works. They just know they need the money to do what they want to do. Right, uh, makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. necessity is the uh, mother of invention. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Obviously. So you talked about your own sort of view on the market that you denominate your accounts in Bitcoin and Ethereum and not in USDT and how now you can actually kind of play it both ways in crypto. Mm -hmm. You can, e either way you're viewing it, there's something here yeah. for you. But I believe there was a time when you would have just said Bitcoin. 
For sure. Well, first of all, when when nothing else existed, I certainly would have. Sure. Yeah, but I wasn't there from an accounting perspective yet because my my journey in crypto or, and Bitcoin, starting with Bitcoin, was different because I was really focused on payments and the application of a trustless system to be able to solve problems like now in, in, in Ukraine and Canada. But I was thinking about this, you know, 12 years ago. Uh, that was the kind of initial excitement factor for me because I was dealing in remittances and emerging markets and I was running a foundation in Haiti at the time the Bitcoin white paper was released doing remittances between the US and, and earthquake survival zones and struggling with the banks. So, so I didn't really, even though I was a, a closet uh, Austrian economist, I'd read all the, you know, Hayek, you know, was on von Mises, I knew all this stuff. I just didn't go in that direction because mentally I was focused personally on something else. And once I realized in, you know, 15, 14, 15, where this was headed and that it, there was a good chance it was not gonna work in the short term for payments the way I wanted because of the, the kind of the, the scaling challenges and you know, just the focus on making this hard money, then I, I, I really dug in from that perspective. So it took me a while. I mean, you basically gave there. the first TED talk yeah. on this yeah. stuff, right? So, I mean, 10 years ago like, last oh. month. But you brought up a really, that's crazy, 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, but you brought up such a kind of an interesting point that I've heard like people sort of mention in the early Bitcoin days, none of it was about speculation none. and none. about the I, moon and how much money you could make in Bitcoin, I, which is funny because then you hear people say how lucky the early guys got to be so rich now. They're lucky. They're not lucky. They believed in a completely different use case for it that they still believe in, which is why right. they've held it the whole time. I mean, the amount of Bitcoin I've given away is so insane in hindsight that you know, would I have given all of that away in 2011 and 12 if I had really focused on, you know, digital gold versus, you know, person to person electronic payments, which I believe is what the title of the white paper says, you know, uh, you know, probably not. I'm fine. Thanks for your concern. But, yeah. you know, um, it's good. It's, it's all we good. wouldn't be here if, if you guys didn't. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and right, so that I just I, I laugh so hard when everyone says that those people were lucky because I would say that anyone who was there for speculation or about the money sold it a thousand bucks. Yeah, look, no, <laughs> I, I talked to people like uh, Tim Draper nine years ago, ten years ago, and I've known Tim since our dot com days, and his conviction on price it it, it kind of floored me because he's. Human beings have a hard time thinking in exponential terms. Yeah, very hard time. OK, he seems to exclusively be able to think in exponential terms and it makes him seem wacky to everybody else. But he's he's he doesn't have to be right. If you think in exponential terms and you're right two percent of the time, you're a billionaire. Literally. <laughs> right. Early enough. I On mean. your hundred grand. Yeah, you can't be right. Like <laughs> yeah. when it's already there, yeah. you have to be right when everybody you else thinks crazy you're crazy. Guy. Exactly. Yeah. And he's been the crazy guy enough that everybody thinks he's wacky. But yet he's the billionaire in the room. So, so that, in hindsight, having watched Hotmail, having listened to him pontificate extensively on exponential growth, and always being somebody who prided himself on, on you know, extrapolating Moore's Law out 10 years, right? Just didn't look at it from that perspective. Not that everything's about how much are you worth, but still, I mean, 
it's, it's just one aspect of this that took me a while to come to terms with. Yeah, well, he was saying that to you nine or ten years That's ago. That's my point, yeah. So what's he say? So what does that say about the next nine or ten years? Have we already gone up that exponential curve? Well, I mean, we... he, he's talking about Bitcoin know, at, at a million now, right? So, I mean, we're, we're, we're at the bottom of the hockey stick as far as he's concerned. So, and now I'm blanking because I've had so many conversations. But yesterday, somebody was basically modeling out uh, Brian Estes. I was sitting mm -hmm. with at, at dinner and he was like, my target's 19 million. Okay. Seems, it seems arbitrary. Seems fine. I yeah. said, why? He said, stock to flow. He said, it's modeled out. Take a look. I'm going there. Mm -hmm. He's like, I, sure. you know, I was like, so what are we talking about for this year? And he said, lowest end, 100 something. And I said, okay, so what are the, what's the high end? This is a dinner conversation, not, yeah, not yeah, a yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I'm thinking maybe, you know, I would be really, really psyched if we got to 230, 250. He's like, no, a million by the end of the year. But there are people, maybe, I sort of dismiss it as 19 million seems like a big number. Well, look, we were. But maybe I'm just not the guy who's thinking like Draper thinks. In March of 20, when COVID started, I think Bitcoin bottomed at like, what, 5,000 or 4,500 or something like that. So it's 10x. Yeah. Okay. Hey, even 38 uh, if you looked at BitMEX, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. Thank God they shut it down. Um, you mean they had a uh, yeah, they had a, a scheduled a, maintenance, a, a scheduled unscheduled <laughs> unscheduled maintenance. I think is what they said. So, so that's 10x. That's more than 10x to your point. Yeah. Uh, Ethereum's way more than that. Um, so, that's not unreasonable, right? Now, I also have a theory that you know the Bitcoin was experiencing the, the same network effects that drive stock to flow. And generally, that's been uninterrupted, except for two instances in, in, in Bitcoin's history. The first was Mt. Gox, and the second was the China mining ban. Yeah, black swans. Right, right. So, so my theory is, is that if, if China hadn't banned mining, Bitcoin might have peaked in the 80s, like meaning the 80K range, 85K range. Uh, it just happened, so happened that they did that ban they right when it's... They crushed the bull run. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they, they, yeah they, and so the network effects seem to be catching back up to where they're supposed to be. Talked about retail, talked about it. institutions have a smaller effect on network effects because, and, and Raul Paul did a great, great analysis on this, where it's the number of users times the value they're moving around that's driving the price. So if it's one user moving a billion dollars so around, right, it has a much, it's, right. it's not irrelevant, but it certainly has a much smaller impact on, on the price. And so, you know, people have to understand that this whole narrative around institutions, the only thing it's really good for is dramatically decreasing the supply. The flip side of that is they're gonna be the first ones to sell if Every the shit time. hits the fan, right. Which we've seen. 100%. Right. Um, and or high net worth you know, family offices, they're generally gonna be the first ones to sell until they get that conviction, which they don't have yet. I'm currently wearing the most comfortable clothing on the planet, are you? Unless you're wearing Vori, then your answer is obviously no. Guys, if you've listened to my live streams, then you've probably heard me rant and rave about this incredible company. We love them so much that we reached out and did a sponsorship deal after I've already been talking about them for months. Yes, it's athletic wear, but you can wear it almost anywhere and it's the majority of my wardrobe. Seriously, I wear these clothes all the time. If they would make a tuxedo, I would have worn it to my wedding. And you can feel great about wearing these clothes as well because they're offsetting 100% of both their carbon and plastic footprint. Guys, Wearing Vori is an investment in your happiness and your comfort. I am serious. These clothing are incredible. Get 20% off of your first purchase at Vori.com slash Melker. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash M-E-L-K-E-R. 
If you're not wearing these clothes yet, you need to go get them right now. Right, I, I'm actually wondering, uh, assuming that we make the leap and believe that we're gonna effectively tokenize stocks, every market will become 24 seven eventually. That, yeah, that just seems I, like I, I agree. very obvious I agree. to me. I wonder how that will then affect the price of Bitcoin when we see these massive moves, which always seemingly seem to happen on Saturday when some bad news comes out in the world and it's the only liquid asset that people can sell. Yeah, right. It's you, very interesting. If you're, if you're panicking about your Facebook stock on Sunday at 10 a.m. and you're just a retail guy, you're literally waiting to like hit the panic sell button on Monday morning. You can sell your Bitcoin right then. Right, right. Even if you're only panicking about Facebook. Right. And you just want liquidity. You know, this was interesting because we, we did some tests on collateralizing uh, stocks using Bitcoin to create synthetic stocks a few years ago. And the irony is, is that the price discovery was only effectively nine to five, like stock markets. Yeah. But you could enter orders 24 seven in our system, just like you could with Bitcoin, but nothing would happen until the market opened. The, you know, so you could yeah. enter the order at 3 a.m. on yeah. Saturday, market and buy. it would just sit there. <laughs> Even though it was collateralized in Bitcoin, it was a synthetic Tesla share or a synthetic Apple share, yeah. or whatever, still couldn't do anything until until Monday morning because there was no price discovery to be had. Yeah. It's a broken system. Yeah, I mean, it's closed more than it's open. But it ain't even close. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it really seems like the most obvious leap yeah. in markets, especially when you see like what happened on Robinhood with GameStop, 48-hour clearing. The fact that Robinhood's biggest problem was that they had too many orders and not enough money to fill them. Right. right. That, that seems like a problem that, that, that right. should be uh, fixed. Right. And if they had had instant, if, if it had been Bitcoin, would have yeah. kept going. I mean, they're, they're, as, as a matter of fact, the, the lending and liquidity markets that are out there for Bitcoin right now are, are awesome. Yeah. I mean, you could, yeah, 100%. They would not have had that problem if it was, if it was crypto or Bitcoin, for sure. You mentioned earlier Ukraine, obviously, and... You've been here so early, you've seen this sort of evolution of the use cases. We talked about it was peer-to-peer -peer cash, right? That's all, mm -hmm. it, that's all it was, a great uh, remedy for remittance problems. Then, of course, we got the digital gold narrative, and we've sort of evolved all these narratives. I didn't think $100 million arriving on the ground of a war zone to be used immediately was the next shining use case yeah. for Bitcoin. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm on a pa uh, panel today specifically about payments in Bitcoin, and... I have a slightly different perspective. I'm on with Jack and, and, and Yvonne, and you know, Jack's been, this is the, the, the new monetary network for the next 100 years uh, standard at Strike, and I, I have a slightly different perspective than that. I think that um, there's gonna be a bifurcation in terms of how Bitcoin works for payments. I think for, for you and I, I think what's likely to happen is, in the next 10 years, we're gonna be holding Bitcoin, Ethereum, and we're basically gonna borrow against it and pay in stable coins through a credit card. That's what's gonna happen. And, and ABRA is gonna push the envelope on that. We'll give you a 15% loan against your crypto holdings right now for free, zero interest. So that's gonna be tied to payment channels in, in the coming months and years. Because we don't have a, a debit problem anyway. We don't have a problem moving money around. However, the, the kind of big exception to that is, is when the man in the middle, right, is either untrustworthy being canceled by the other governments, um, is under attack, nuclear war, whatever, then you want a, a, a permissionless system in, in the middle of the settlement itself, right? And that's what you're seeing in Ukraine. That was the narrative around the Canadian trucker stuff. Yeah. But, but that's the, you know, hopefully at scale, the exception. 
So in that regard, Bitcoin as a payment network becomes kind of, you know, like Shamat says, schmuck insurance. Um, but for the rest of us, it becomes the pristine collateral, right? Like, like in, in, in India, it's the, it's the gold that gets passed down from generation to generation. The problem is they can't use it for anything. They refer to it as wealth. They're not borrowing against the family gold to, to do anything. Now with, with Bitcoin, they'll be borrowing against it in real time at the point of sale and they'll have a credit infrastructure they've never had before. So that's a different kind of perspective on, on the Ukraine thing, which is going to be its own thing, I think. Right. And so then the question is, well, what is Lightning's value then? Right. I think Lightning becomes really valuable in places like Ukraine, places like Venezuela. I'm skeptical that it's going to become hugely valuable here in the short term. And, and that's a very unpopular, a yeah. right, very unpopular opinion is with it? some of my. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, Jack is convinced that we're all going to be he's going to make an announcement today that they're, they have, they're announcing this merchant's service for for lightning in the US. And I'm just saying, well, OK, that's what we were trying to do in 2012 when that's Bitcoin, Bitcoin. <laughs> when, when Bitcoin uh, mining fees were 10 cents. It's no different. It's exactly the same thing. Right. It, the only value Lightning has there is that you, you don't have the $50 network fees or mining fees. And, and so the question then becomes, what problem are we collectively solving and for who? Right. I mean, you were doing that before there was PayPal, Venmo, Cash App. And no one cared. I mean, we, are, know, well, sending, actually, we are instantaneously sending digital money, right, right. might not be the money we like, with almost no fee all the time. Huge lesson humans. for entrepreneurs, right? I just said no one cared. That was wrong. A lot of people cared. The people who were knee deep in Bitcoin loved me. They thought it was, I was like. You were too early. Yeah. No, no, not that I was too early. They were convinced that I was going to help drive the price of Bitcoin to the moon because that's what they cared about. Right. Right. Bitcoin taking over. What I realized is they weren't using the product. I'm saying to myself, hmm, these people love what I'm talking about. But they're not using my product to send Bitcoin person to person. Why not? I dug in. I realized nobody's sending Bitcoin person to person. They want to hold it. <laughs> so they're all full of shit. Right. And, and so be very careful on who you're, you know, trying to get to evangelize your product early as sure. an entrepreneur. And if it's not somebody who's actually using it, there's a disconnect. Right. Right. Um, That's humanity, though. Like everybody sure. loves to pontificate and... You know, I, this is, I'm into the newest thing. It's the most important thing, but they're not actually doing anything. Absolutely. Now. But now <laughs> our best evangelists are people who have a lot of money in our product. Yeah. They love it. Yeah. Right. And real and, users. Yeah. Real users. I mean, I was at a, this, this, this uh, user event last night with a couple hundred of our customers and like just watching them talk to each other about the product. It's just awesome. It's, it's gratifying, but you learn a lot too. Right. And it's not evangelists who just want Bitcoin to go up. Right. Which I do want Bitcoin to go up. But I'm, I'm running a company. It's also the not time. the people who are kissing your ass and telling you what you want to hear. No. Right. No, they is, tell me what they don't like. Yeah, which is important. Yeah, they're, they're incentivized to have things that they don't like fixed. Yeah, so you just brought up two things really quick. One was, again, the billionaire playbook, collateral, mm -hmm. right? Bitcoin is pristine collateral. You can custody it. You're not, we always kind of make the same joke, but it's not like a billionaire's yacht on the other side of the world that sure. take a loan against it now. Go get, good yeah. luck getting my yacht. The billionaires have been doing this for decades. Right. I have other customers who've been doing this with, I, I, somebody came up to me, said, you know, I didn't realize how wealthy he was, even though he had money in Avra. He says, yeah, you know, I've been living off my Apple shares for 15 years. And I said, what do you mean? He says, I've never sold a share. He says, I have a, a, a deal with my, with my bank and I basically get a, a loan to value, a fixed loan to value credit line. 
uh, against those shares. And if the shares, you know, get to a certain point, yes, I have to pay back or, or I have to buy more. Uh, but generally, the shares keep going up, so they don't care. Great system until yeah. uh, you're, you do it on Facebook and it drops 30%. Right. Yeah, but no, I mean, that that is, you just never sell anything and never take a taxable right. gain. The other thing that you said, real quick, talking about Jack and the Lightning Network and the potential announcement that we'll see today. I love his spirit, his conviction, but... We've already seen a few of these announcements, and they've just gone nowhere. And I'm not, I'm not saying specific to him, but I remember, you know, he made that video. This is me on Twitter sending someone money instantaneously, you know, queen to bishop for whatever, right. your move. Nobody's used it. Right, and again, like this no, is... And when I say nobody, I even added the little thing to my Twitter account. Right. The strike thing, I maybe like one person at some point sent me a buck. Yeah. And was like, cool podcast. Probably bro. test. So, so, so again, the point here is that if you're the Pied Piper and, you know, the sheep are following you or the sheep herder and the sheep are following you towards the cliff, um, and those sheep aren't the people who are using your product but have a different incentive from you, you have a problem. As, as a CEO, you have a problem. If all your goal is to just be the Pied Piper and lead the parade, it doesn't matter, right? Because your, your goal is the you know, evangelism of Bitcoin in and of itself, but he's running a business with investors, right? right? And there's a disconnect, and I can tell you, because I lived it firsthand, I tried to explain this. You know, anyway, they'll learn eventually, yeah. the hard way. But, but, but you know, eventually you learn that there's a disconnect between Bitcoin evangelists and the people who are using your product. You know, I, I, there's a lot of people who are like Bitcoin only companies in the space with CEOs that I, I talk to in the background that say things to me in the background that they would never say on camera because it would piss off the sheep that are following them. Well, right. I mean, you, you can't uh, get half your uh, customers to right. sign off because you tell right. the truth. Asking me God questions forbid. about altcoins and should they consider yield and lending, things that we're doing. And I'm saying, well... You know, just be careful because, you know, you've got evangelists who are not going to be happy with what you're doing. And, and the first comment is usually, yeah, but they're not my customers. Yeah. Everyone's uh, doing a little ballet dance. Right. Right. Around what you can, what, what you want to say and what you can say in the world and in this community. I mean, listen, we're sitting at Bitcoin 2022 and you're not allowed to say anything but Bitcoin on stage. Oh, I don't care about that. Right. If but, they don't want to but, invite me back, But I you're care. attempting to have a conversation about the future of the technology, and that obviously has to extend beyond just Bitcoin. Look, the, the future <laughs> of money is Bitcoin. The future of banking right now is Ethereum, as I see it. The two are going to have a symbiotic relationship. And there's a lot of people here who don't like that. I honestly just don't care. But shouldn't you love that if you're... I, of course. But, but at some point, the truth matters. It's just words. Get over it. Right? The, Ethereum is actually first and foremost a word, just like Bitcoin is a word. People have these hang-ups. I mean, I, I get hate messages on, on, on social media from people like, why do you keep talking about Ethereum and, and just get off it? And I'm like, look, well, I have more Bitcoin than pretty much everybody I know except Michael Saylor. Okay? I, I have an incentive for the price to go up, but that doesn't mean I'm, you know, that I, I can't see the big picture. You know? So... I think people just get so emotionally tied to an opinion they've had for so long, and God forbid they like, yeah, publicly allow people to hear that they've changed their mind. Right. That, that, it might not even be about the actual belief; it's just about the perception of yeah their belief. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Tone Vase had a conference called Unconfiscatable, right? The, the 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 big crypto conference that's not just Bitcoin will be permissionless. Well, for most people, 
when they hear permissionless, unconfiscatable, it sounds like the same thing to me, right? It is. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and the funny thing about the, the unconfiscatable idea at this point is that the not your keys, not your coins thing, it's really fallen by the wayside over the past few years as exchanges have improved their security and things. So most, yeah. and, and I believe Gemini's new survey said that 45% of the people who own Bitcoin in the United States or crypto bought it in 2021. Mm -hmm. Those people don't care about the confiscatable side. They're holding it on their exchange, mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So aren't we at a point now where you still carry counterparty risk like you do with 100%. other assets? With the you know, the way we think about that is, is obviously as a company that says we're trying to be your crypto bank. Right. We're asking you to trust us. Yeah. Ironically, in an environment where the most valuable property of this technology is the fact that you can basically manage your own stuff. The point is to us is that the right uh, uh, partner that you trust in this space should be 100% transparent and committed under all circumstances to allowing you to take your stuff offline and manage it yourself 24-7 anytime. And if they're not, then trust me, there's somebody else who is. They're incentive, right, right, yeah, of right. course. And, and, and so we get the irony of the business we're in. It's not lost on us, yeah, the whole team. We talk about it all the time because some of our biggest customers are around the management team. And, and we have to be consistently committed publicly to saying, hey, look, you want to take it offline, you want to put it in a hardware wallet anytime, you know, do it, right? In the meantime, we got your back. Yeah, I would imagine that also, if you're going to custody with a platform, you want the one that's ethos aligned with your own. Like the right. CEO of the company understands not your keys, not your coins, and is going to treat your money in the yes, same way. Exactly, right? exactly. You know, I think I sit on the risk committee for our lending business, and as a customer, that aligns our other customers with me, right? So. Yeah. Uh, you've obviously talked about all the things you're building, sort of the lending products, the, the sort of trust K1 structure. Is there anything further out before we get done that like is a pie in the sky, craziest dream of what you could build with the platform? If yeah, I mean, I wanna, I wanna see, I wanna see people using the crypto banking model first, and and other traditional banks second or not at all. I've been saying for my team for 18 months, one of our biggest goals is, is, is I want to be able to shut off my bank account. Actually, I have two bank accounts, and basically they exist for me for paying bills and a couple of things that I can't easily do in my world. So I want to get my salary deposited into Abra. I want to have auto conversion into Bitcoin Ethereum, which we have now, so you can just do recurring buys. That's all, that's all there. But now what I want to do is, yes, I can borrow against it easily, which I also do on occasion, but I also want to basically have that, you know, I have my Apple card right from Goldman in my pocket. I want the Abra version and I want it to be an instant on credit line against my crypto for free that I just tap and pay against and just go about my day. Just like everybody, like the examples with the wealthy stockholders, right? So, so I believe that in the next year, in several countries, that will be true. We'll well, I see. look forward to seeing you guys we'll build see. that. I think that'll eventually happen here. I if think we can that's going to be common greatly. across the industry. I don't know if people are thinking the way the way we are, but but to me, like if you think about like India, Southeast Asia, like Bangladesh's of the world, Turkey, like they have no credit infrastructure. Everything's debit. I just described the perfect credit infrastructure for the entire third world. Yeah, yeah. I uh, love it. That's a vision that I think we could all share, man. Thank you so much. It's great to do this uh, Always in person. Always a pleasure, man. <laughs> yeah, good to see and, you. Uh, we'll see you soon. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Yeah, you too. Thanks. You too. Awesome.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't already left a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do that now. Spotify just added rating, so please go ahead and click that five star. I'll see you guys next time.